evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the Fugazi catalog, from Fugai to Fugazi. I'm your host, Ian James Wright. Uh, my inaugural guest, here to discuss 23 Beats Off from 1993's In on the Kill Taker, is the man who literally wrote the book on the album. It's from the popular 33 and a Third series from Bloomsbury Academic, and I think it's safe to say it's a revelatory look at the writing of and making of In on the Kill Taker. It draws on his own conversations with Fugazi and their collaborators, um, as well as access he got to demo versions the public has never heard and other good stuff like that. Um, he's also a journalist who covers culture for the Austin American Statesman and I believe freelances elsewhere. Uh, welcome to the show, Joe Gross. Hey, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much. For, I'm really glad you could be my guest on this first episode because every time I do an episode on a song from Killtaker, I'll probably be pulling some tidbits from your book. So I'd like to thank you in advance for that. Totally cool. Yeah, that's what it's there for. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let me just say one thing uh, directly to our listeners here, if I could. If you are interested enough in Fugazi to have downloaded this podcast and to be listening to me speak right now, you should buy Joe's book. Uh, I don't care how big of a fan you are. If you don't come away from it uh, without having learned a bunch of fascinating stuff you never knew before, I'll eat my hat, basically. So uh, it's available. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah, it's available at discord.com, but probably also Amazon, probably wherever else you buy books, right? Yeah, it's all over the place. A lot of, uh, a lot of independent bookstores carry it. A lot of record stores carry it. Uh, Amazon is fine, of course. Discord's got it. Uh, yeah, you can find it all over the place. It came out in 2018. Fugazi yes, went sir. on hiatus in 2002. You know, we've now been living in a post-Fugazi world for longer than the band was active. So basically, yes. why, why now? Was there something that sparked it? I mean, I assume you've been carrying some latent interest in the album for a while, and at some point you just decided you wanted to write about this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're the band that I've sort of written about the most and followed the closest over the years. I've been, you know, a fan or thinking about them since, like, 1988. And it's just, it's one of those records that I had always thought about, um doing something larger on when I approached the band, I didn't want to do the book unless the band was interested in, in doing interviews. Um, and so I contacted them and said, look, I can do any one of your records. Um, do you have a, do you have a preference? Uh, I'm happy to write about any of these. I know these records forwards and backwards, but are there particular ones that you don't particularly remember making or, or, um, you know, that you could speak to better than others. And they huddled. And when they got back to me, they said, um, you know, you can write about whatever you like, and we're happy to talk about whatever you like. Uh, uh, we remember Steady Diet the least, because um, that was sort of a, a, a weird time with us recording. Uh, but do, it, do whatever you want. And so I picked Killtaker because it's it arrives at sort of this this very interesting moment in American music about you know two years after uh, Nirvana you know them getting signed and them putting a record out on Geffen and that record exploding sort of put a spotlight on this music that had been percolating in the American underground for you know fifteen years at that point. And, um, you know, just suddenly 
it was it was everywhere all of a sudden. Um, in the book, the guys talk about you know leaving for Australia before that record got big, and as that record was getting big, they were touring Australia. And they were just like, what the fuck is going on? Who are all these, like, this band is suddenly everywhere. Uh, which I think is, is kind of a funny image. But, um, yeah, Kel Taker comes out in 93. That's a really interesting moment in American underground music when major labels were signing everything in sight. And the sound scan uh, method of collecting data on sales was about two years old. And so for the first time, you got reasonably accurate charts regarding sales from all over the place. And what, you know, Americans found out is we were listening to a lot more hip hop and country than we thought. And, right. um, you know, Fugazi charted. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I was I just asked because, you know, I was sort of asking myself that, like, why would I start this project now? It's it's something I think um, one thing that's interesting too. probably I assume you've had a pretty big response um, to the book, like people getting in touch with you and, you know, telling you how much they enjoyed it. I feel like there's this, um, this almost underground lingering fandom, because as you say, you know, they, they were big enough to chart. Um, so many people cared deeply about them, but there's this thing in, in the larger culture where, you know, cause they didn't sell any merchandise that you, you never see either in person or like in movies or as set dressing or whatever, you never see any t-shirts, any posters that say Fugazi. So it's almost like if you weren't into them, uh, you you might not even know they exist, right? If you weren't uh, if you weren't into it at the time, but I feel like there's this uh, <laughs> fandom out there that still really cares about them and is really into them. Yeah, it's it's an it's sort of an interesting thing that that those records, you know, I think still sell and and you know do okay and are reasonable catalog pieces for for Discord. But you're right in that there isn't, you know, there aren't. It's not like the Rolling Stones or something where they're, you know, they've, they've, you know, been touring for 60, 70 years and there's, uh, uh, you know, a, um, 70 years. That's ridiculous. They've, uh, <laughs> can't be right. Can I, I, yeah, no, that's not, that's not correct. It's, no, it's not like that they, it's not like they had a, a long run. I mean, 15 years is, is pretty great for any band, but, um, you know, they've been, you know, nobody died tragically. Nobody, uh, there was no scandal. Uh, they just decided it was, you know, good time to stop playing for various reasons. And, um, you know, and so, yeah, if you weren't, if you weren't there at the time, it, you're right. It's tough if there's no merchandise to sort of continue advertising a band after it's gone. Um, you know, you either sort of know about them or you don't. And, I mean, I think those records are extraordinary, but it doesn't, they don't really do justice to the band playing live. Oh, right. Yeah. Which is, you know, how they, you know, which was really their, their, their MO was their live shows. Yeah. And of course, listeners, if you haven't checked out uh, Fugazi live series uh, on Discord, uh, just an absolutely incredible archive of, uh, of live music a lot of it's recorded really well good quality and they're pretty cheap it's like five dollars a show so yeah download a few of yeah, those yeah something else um all right well uh yeah let's let's jump in we're talking about 23 beats off today so um yeah something i like about the alphabetical alphanumerical format of this show is that it's going to force me to do interesting things like start with this song which 
probably by any other metric would be a bonkers choice for the first song to discuss when you're talking about Fugazi's catalog, right? Um, yeah, uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. It's uh, So, as you said, you know the records backward and forward. Uh, do you know what makes this a real outlier in their catalog? Well, um, I think it's... I don't believe it's a song they played live all that much. I'd need to double check that. Yeah, um, very few um, times according I, to the data I've seen. Yeah, I think it was sort of a tough, I think it was a kind of a tough song to execute live and, and it didn't sort of pair well with other songs. Um, I think it's interesting in that it is a reflection on the lives and deaths of two people and uh, is often mistaken for being a song about a third person entirely, which I find, which there are very specific reasons for. But um, I think that's kind of, I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah, let's, so, uh, oh, by the way, I was referring to, it. it is in fact the longest recorded song in the Fugazi catalog, six minutes and 41 yes. seconds. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, that's. Uh, it's and and it includes, of course, uh, it's not unique in this, but in course, it includes this long noise, uh, like feedback jam. Let's talk about the lyrics for a bit. So, um, first of all, if if people haven't you know read the lyrics somewhere, they might find it a little bit hard to decipher. Right? It's one of the probably foremost examples of going from very quiet to pretty loud in the catalog. Right? You can barely hear the first yeah. lyrics that come out. Um, but right, a name, I recognize that name. It was at the center of some ticker tape parade, the lead story, a fine example. A name, uh, it was at the center of some magnifying glass. He used to pretend he was fighting some war somewhere. Now everything depends on fighting some war. He never thought he'd be an exclamation point, a demonstration of his disease, a punctuation mark, a household name with HIV. Still, it's just still sound. I like, first of all, how it sort of saves up till the end really the topic of the song and it drops that uh, it's about somebody famous with HIV. Would you care to reveal um, your what Ian MacKay said yeah, about totally. uh, who it's about? Yeah, it's about Arthur Ashe and Freddie Mercury and not as many people believed about Magic Johnson. I think a lot of people thought it was about Magic Johnson because it was written, it, it, it came out, the song came out you know, well, at, the song came out on an album well after um, Magic Johnson was sort of a known quantity as somebody who had HIV, but it was actually written before that. And it was written about uh, the tennis legend Arthur Ashe and uh, Freddie Mercury, the singer for Queen, and about sort of how they lived their lives and, um, you know, the, uh, the difference between, you know, uh, wanting fame, wanting to be famous and then becoming famous for something that is quite private and, um, you know, is, is, you know, extremely sad when this song was written, HIV, HIV AIDS was still an absolute death sentence. Right. And, um, and it, uh, and it's it's not anymore and it's just it's kind of a startling thing to think about in the context of of that song and how old that song is um right it, that 
I guess the the crisis very much coincided with the formative years of uh, Fugazi and and Ian. I, I I don't know how how old you are. I was born in 1982, and I remember you know AIDS um, in elementary school. It was like a big deal. There was all kinds of sort of awareness things happening. But then you know by the time I sort of became sexually active, it it wasn't a huge concern anymore. So it's hard for me to understand directly. But from what I understand, you know at the time it was terrifying to people. Yeah. So yeah, there's no question. I'm. Uh, I was born in 74 and I can tell you that it was something on the, on, on people's minds, you know, who were even before they were sexually active, it was sort of this looming specter and, you know, people kept getting sicker and sicker and people on the margins of American society kept getting sicker and sicker. And it was, you know, presented as this disease, uh, who, that affected people who had done something wrong. Right. And, you know, be they gay or, or, uh, an IV drug user or homeless. Like it was very much a disease that spread among marginalized communities. And then, um, and you know, which is part of the reason that it took forever for, people in American government to acknowledge that this was going on and this was a a very, very serious problem. Uh, so when he, you know, when, when Ian wrote that, when, uh, when the band wrote that song and Ian wrote those lyrics, it was still, you know, it was still a disease associated with, with, um, you know, that had a moral panic component to it. Undeserved of course, but that people were like, you know, that it was just it was something that uh, happened to people that weren't you or me, you know. Um, that's I mean that's how people thought about it. Yeah, I can only imagine too that you know imagine what a huge setback to the gay rights movement and and gay acceptance. Like who knows how many years it set back the cause of. I mean, it must have been an enormous blow. It's pretty horrible when a uh, when a disease you know spreads among. A particular community and then just destroys it it was you know it was really really horrible yeah. it was really horrible and uh it's you know it's still pretty awful um but it's you know if you are lucky enough to live someplace with access to anti-retroviral drugs it's something you can live with but you know that's a pretty small percentage of of uh of the population on earth so that's true you know, still a lot of work to do. You know, the topic is pretty clear that it's about um, a person or people uh, with um, that are famous with HIV. In a way, mm-hmm. I don't know uh, what what you think about. Is it really important who it's about? It sort of strikes me as it's, it could be about any famous person with HIV, and it is. Um, and it's not super important <laughs> yeah, who I... it was written about. No, not really. It's. So the topic is kind of out front, even if uh, it's not explicit about who inspired it. But I feel like the lyrics are a little shy about the point it's trying to make about uh, a, a household name with HIV. Right? What it, do you have an interpretation of that? Well, I think that like a lot of stuff, uh, like a lot of their songs, there's a lot of wiggle room for the listener uh, to... Um, figure it out for themselves. I think there is, you know, there's, he's sort of pointing up, I think the, the writer, Ian in this case, is sort of pointing up the dichotomy between, you know, um, 
that that you know a, a quest to be a, a famous person. You know, Arthur Ashe was a brilliant tennis player. Freddie Mercury was one of the most brilliant frontmen who ever lived. And then, you know, to what extent do we owe somebody like that a modicum of privacy when their private life becomes, or when their, you know, when their medical life becomes public knowledge? And there's no particular reason you would remember this, but uh, Freddie Mercury died like a day after announcing that he had HIV, that he had AIDS. Uh, His band kept it extremely quiet. You know, I think the dichotomy is in this in presented in the song is that, you know, if you are if you are somebody who is seeking a certain level of fame, then you sort of have to expect your life will be under a microscope because that's just sort of what we do here. But to what extent do we need to, you know, should that might to what extent should that? Uh, you know, magnifying glass be removed um, when something this personal happens. I think something that is sort of striking about Arthur Ashe and especially Freddie Mercury, they did not, Freddie Mercury kept it very quiet. And I mean, tabloids certainly knew, but there was no sense that like, hey, I'm going to be a public person with AIDS mm-hmm. uh, for either of them. And, um, you know, on some level that's too bad because that could have, you know, that human could have humanized the disease for a lot of people. On the other hand, that's none of our business. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, these people should be allowed to, you know, mourn their health or deal with their health, um, in private. And I think that's sort of I think that's what the song is is sort of getting at that there's this weird thing that happens when somebody gets famous and then something really bad happens to them. Uh, there's, you know, that's, to, an, that's an interesting point that um, it's sort of paradoxical that a celebrity, um, a, f- a famous person having HIV, could make it more real, more relatable to the common person. Um, you know, it, it, this is not. A faceless disease anymore it um right it affects people that you are aware of um it's a, it affects people that you're a huge fan of yeah um you know uh ash was a brilliant tennis player and a groundbreaking person and uh you know freddie mercury had million literally millions of fans and um you know i think a lot of them were genuinely shocked when he died i mean some of them weren't but a lot of them were, you know, a lot of a lot of casual fans probably had no idea he was sick. I certainly didn't. I mean, I was a, a casual Queen fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other thing that that's sort of should be noted is that um, both Ian and Guy, and I think the the rhythm section, um, Joe and Brendan, are all Queen fans, right? Uh, especially uh, Ian and Guy. And um, I think I I think it's good to note at this point that. Uh, Fugazi over the horse, over the course of their history as a live band, they played a ton of benefit shows for AIDS related issues, including like totally. a, a gay rights march, an AIDS hospice, the um, ACT UP, which is AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power, um, AIDS Research. Um, there's there's this interesting website. This guy uh, Carney Clears, I think, is how you pronounce his name. That's um, he has a website about it. C A R N I K L I R S dot com. 
slash project slash Fugazi. He he did a lot of um he scraped data from the Fugazi live series, did a lot of interesting visualizations about things they did over the course of their career. He sort of broke down all the benefits the band played um, and the money they raised. So he estimates they raised a total of uh, like nineteen thousand dollars just for uh, these AIDS related causes. Uh, which is yeah know. no no question and that's all in like you know five dollar increments like it's yeah. not it, it sounds like a small amount of money now but it 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 wasn't to especially to places like the whitman walker clinic in uh in in dc and um places like that that were you know treating aids patients right. um who were indigent or who didn't have access to decent health care uh, you know, back when people were still, you know, when some doctors and nurses were still very much afraid of them. Um, so yeah, yeah. it's, uh, um, and it's bef- a great piece of music. Yeah. And before we depart from talking about the lyrics, I just wanted to ask, see if you had a, an interpretation of the last line, which is still, it's just still sound that that's probably the most mysterious line to me. I think my best interpretation is, um, you know, even, even when people, uh, are hearing about these famous uh, household names who have HIV. To some extent, it's still just white noise in the background. It still doesn't impact them directly. They still don't um, have enough of a stake in it to actually do anything. Um, do you have a Do you have a different take on that, or do you think I'm uh, I'm off? No, I, actually, I, no. I think that's that's pretty sound. That's uh, that's pretty spot on. That you know you. You know, it's uh, Fugazi songs are very for a band that people thought was very like prescriptive and you know said don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. Uh, There's I don't well a I think that's I've always thought that was kind of ridiculous and b their songs are very open ended. Um, The vast majority of the their catalog is very. You know the lyrics for almost all of their stuff are very open to interpretation, mm-hmm. and um, you know I, uh, I I think you're uh, I think you're spot on. And not to mention uh, we haven't really talked about the title of this song, but <laughs> this this title is incredibly obtuse. Um, you know you shed yeah. some light on it in in your book. It kind of it's a title that makes sense if you know this other Fugazi song two beats off and if you've heard the Steve Albini demo which was never publicly re- released, then you could like figure it out yourself. Yeah, the the title's completely ridiculous. It <laughs> uh it's yeah, it it's you know Fugazi would often um, just sort of like what they told me for the book is that they would often sort of just assign random names to little pieces of songs they had on demo tapes, like, you know, link Ray number two or chunky bits or, you know, chimps or something like that. And so, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if, if somebody had a, a piece of a song that was like, Oh, this sounds like two beats off. And, uh, you know, just sort of like kept that as a working title. And then the 23 beats off thing was an in joke about doing 23 snare hits on the, um, the end feedbacky part, um, the noise, the little noise jam part in the, the, the demo that Albini recorded, Brendan does hit his snare 23 times. But I think cooler heads prevailed after they um, uh, that like that was kind of ridiculous. And um, but they kept the title, which, you know, has confused people ever since. Yeah. Can, 
Oh, and it, it added to the confusion in that, um, you know, Magic Johnson's number was 32. Right. And so they thought, like, you know, people thought that, like, oh, 23 beats off. They just flipped the numbers to, like, hide it. It's like, no, that's actually not <laughs> that's actually not correct at all. But completely understandable that people might think that. I'm sure there's, like, a, a balance between them being a little frustrated by that and them getting a kick out of people sort of misinterpreting what they were putting out there. Um, they're, yeah, I think so. They're they're a band that I guess a lot of it's not part of the common perception of them, but they have pretty good senses of humor, I would say. They're all yeah. Um, you know, I found them all incredibly funny. And one of the things that you learn listening to the live sets is that Ian was actually very funny all the time on stage, but he's so dry, right, that people just wouldn't get it and. You know, so he has this reputation for being a humorless scold when, like, all four guys in that band are, like, pretty hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I wouldn't want to be in a band for 15 years with people, like, who didn't make me laugh. Like, God, I, no. that sounds horrible. Yeah. The, um, um, so documentary uh, instrument is sort of revealing there too for people who haven't like really listened to interviews with them whatever I think oh, totally. like Brendan in particular seems like a, a hilarious guy to me um, yeah but, he's yeah. he's uh, yeah he's a doll he is a uh, he's a he's a very charming guy to talk about the, the you know sonic qualities a little bit you know the title is a little squirrely uh, the, the chords are a little squirrely too it's one of these songs that's like um, you know it, it takes you a minute to find like what's the one chord in this what's the tonic uh the chords sort of dance around the tonal center in this weird way uh the, the rhythm is a little weird it's definitely not something you could dance to it's uh like i think the i think the time is 4/4 on the drums but the the chords are in in this sort of strange uh, offbeat way that uh you can't really get a solid grasp on it it's pretty interesting yeah i think that's part of the reason that they didn't play it live much yeah it, maybe it was this it was this you know, piece of music that, you know, came together in the studio in a really, a really impressive way, but, you know, it was kind of a pain to play live in that you have these gaps that it's just an, yeah, I mean, you're right. It's an, it's sort of an oddly structured song with these, you know, crescendos and low points that I think, you know, are, are, are just weird, I can see how they wouldn't work in the context of a show like, you know, this, you know, this, this, we've sort of ground our show to a halt with this, you know, sort of mid tempo to slow song that has, you know, kind of weird gaps that you could probably hear a lot of people talking over. Right. And then this, and then this big jam that isn't really like the improvisational bits that they do when they're doing something like shut the door mm-hmm. or glue man or reprovisional live, it's sort of a different kind of animal. Um, yeah. so yeah, in terms of that feedback jam, uh, that's, uh, it would be, be remiss not to talk about that at all. Uh, it's super interesting. Like, um, I knew people, you know, um, in high school who were really into Sonic youth, uh, uh-huh. I, I liked Sonic Youth, but as far as the feedback jams, which which I always did like, um, I got into that. But I always thought Fugazi, for, to my taste, they did it better. Something about it was more appealing to me when they did it. Well, yeah, I mean, they have. Uh, I think the fact that that you know, Fugazi always operated to me. I thought of. I, I would always think of like 
you know, a very tight jazz band or a very tight funk band that you could, they could riff on something and still keep, uh, you know, there, you could dance to their, their massive jams. Right. Um, you know, uh, which, you know, sometimes you couldn't really do to Sonic Youth, but, um, that, you know, that really wasn't their, that really wasn't their thing. But yeah, I think this is, this is an interesting bit because they never really done anything like it before. And at least on um, record, I guess. I mean, yeah, not, I'm sorry. They'd never really done anything like it before on, on a record. And it's, you know, it's a pretty, pretty out there bit for people who are, you know, might only know the band through waiting room or something like that. The sort of like tight two fifty, uh, you know, sing along and, you know, 23 beats off is definitely not that. And, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, you know, I'm glad it's there. I think it's a really interesting bit. I love Brendan's drumming during it. Um, I think that's really interesting. And, uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's a great part of the song. I do think it's something they've done. They ended up doing a little bit better on a song like "By You." I was just um, gonna say that I prefer "By You." Like I love that jam. This one's not quite yeah. as uh, like my favorite, but uh, I, I still dig it. I always liked watching them execute this sort of stuff live too. Like I was I, I had just started you know playing guitar in high school and what I watch how they like. They would put their, they would jam the headstocks of their guitars against the their amps live, like yep. at least Ian did to get that like feedback uh, going. And you know, God yeah. knows, I never really got a, <laughs> a good handle on what else they were doing exactly. But they they sort of have this preternatural way of like controlling feedback in a way that I never managed to do without just well, getting squealing sounds. Ian Ian did it. You know, the thing that's sort of interesting about Ian's setup in that band is it's his guitar into a Marshall and that's it. Yeah. Like that. He doesn't use effects pedals. I think, I think he uses you know, like Gee, one, uh, distortion like pedal, one right? or two. Yeah. yeah. And that was it. That yeah. was everything. And they could sound, you know, if you've, there's a version of, um, reprovisional that first appeared on the international pop underground compilation, which is this big orange and black record from um, late 91, early 92, something like that. And it has the re- the version of Reprovisional they did at the International Pop Underground Festival. And that is as noisy and bonkers as anything that was around then. It, uh, it sounds like, I mean, Joe's amp sounds like it's taking on water. Like, that's really <laughs> the only way I can describe it. It's which I totally buy because I'm sure it was extremely sweaty in that theater and extremely hot. But it's really if you've never heard that that yeah, that thing I'm is gonna have to ask you to send me a link to that. And maybe we'll put it in the show notes or something because uh, I've never heard that. Yeah, that that's an astonishing piece of music. Well, that's awesome. So let me um let me ask you to do another thing here, which is uh, brings us to ratings. Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you think I could prevail upon you if if you had to give this song like a, a personal rating from one to five stars, let's say, just purely in the context of Fugazi songs, from like worst Fugazi song to best Fugazi song? Uh, what, what do you think you might give this? Oh, man. It's hard, um, right? 
Well, it's funny. Yeah, there are, there's only like a handful of Fugazi songs that I actively dislike, and this is definitely not one of them. I'm uh, in terms of like their whole catalog, um, I give it three and a half or four. Oh, nice. um, I think it's yeah. I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a really good song that you know since it didn't get played live and that's such an important part of how their songs work and an important part of their story. It's hard to say what the song could have been in a live setting. I mean, I really do like it and I think it's uh, a fascinating song, but is it one that, you know, automatically pops into my head as like all time favorite songs of theirs? Uh, no, but I think it's a, I think it's a really strong, really interesting song. Yeah, I think I'd say something similar for for me personally. It's you know, it's not one of those go to songs you think of right away when you you know have a recommend. Someone asks you like, "Hey, put together a Fugazi playlist for me." Um, it's not it's not my favorite noise jam. Um, you know, I'd, I'd probably give it two and a half stars. Uh, it's you know you know what I think it is too though. I think I liked it less before I heard the Albini demo because you know while I love on the on the record version the um, the noise jam is really cool. But I think overall it's it's stronger up till that point on that demo. You have a uh, do you agree with that? Um I've never, you know, it's been a little while since I finished the book and even longer since I I listened to those demos. I've never been a huge fan of them. I'm a huge fan of Albini's work in bands and as a producer and obviously I am a huge fan of of Fugazi, but I agree with them 100% that those that those demos were not ready for prime like those recordings were not ready for prime time yeah and, I, w- I would say that um, probably for all the other songs for some reason that one speaks to me a little more than the record version I'm not sure what it is i should check it out yeah i should check it out again it's uh you know there's it's it's cool that it's there in that you know that song was played so little live that there just aren't that many recordings of it and um so that's i mean i'm glad it's out there same. Well, uh, on that note, is there any uh, final remarks you have about this song? Um, if not, um, do you have uh, any plugs? You know, where can listeners reach you online? Do you have any like some events or uh, articles you would like to uh, share? Um, well, I yeah, sure. I'm uh, on Twitter at uh, at Joe Gross, and um, <clears throat> excuse me, the vast majority of stuff I do for the Austin American Statesman, which is the daily paper in Austin, Texas. Uh, can be found at austin360.com. That's where the vast majority of my stuff is. And it's usually, it's not often about music in the Statesman. It's usually about film or books or um, television. And sometimes it's about music, um, but not uh, not tremendously often. Um, that's kind of it at the moment. I mean, you know, I'm pretty easily Googleable. Um, you know, there's stuff from rolling stone and spin out there that uh you know people might enjoy uh yeah that's kind of it right on well thanks again for uh taking out a chunk of your day to uh talk to me about this is real pleasure having a conversation with you um about uh about a great band my pleasure man thanks so much yeah anytime i hope i can have you back at some point yeah that'd be great
As for me, uh, you can reach me, uh, listeners, at fugaziA to Z at gmail.com. You can also join the Facebook group, The Alphabetical Fugazi, and you know I'll post a link to this podcast episode, and you can chime in in the comments with your two cents if you have uh, anything that we missed that you'd like to bring up. And I hope you'll join me for the next episode when we'll be discussing And the Same. So until then, keep your eyes open. This is my last